Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. I just want to give a shout out to everybody I saw at Brooklyn Games and Arcade, the new Brooklyn video games location last weekend. It was so much fun to have a meetup like that and to see so many old friends I haven't seen in a while, to meet so many awesome new people. I really miss doing stuff like that a lot, and I'm really looking forward to getting back into the swing of things. And uh, that location is actually much closer for me to get to, so I'll be there even more than I was before. Uh, So what a very cool place. If you're around there, definitely check it out. Great game store. Um, they're just starting to take in new trade-ins, so it's not as full as Brooklyn Video Games, but I'm sure it'll get there soon enough. And what an amazing start to the arcade downstairs. I'm sure that's going to be home to lots of crazy and amazing tournaments in the future. So thanks to everybody that showed up to that, and I'll definitely be there a lot. But anyway, let's jump into the news. Last week, I talked about making sure you use properly built SCART cables when connecting the RGB output of a mister to SCART equipment. And after posting that, a few people messaged me and was wondering if it was the same with the analog DAC and the NT Mini, and I had completely forgotten to test it. And it turns out, yes, it's the same exact warning. Now, always, I want to make sure that I say people should use properly built SCART cables. Anytime you buy some $2 solution, almost guaranteed it's going to be garbage. Regardless of what somebody says in the YouTube comments, do not do that. Um, So the basic advice stands, but I wanted to also provide information as to why. Because myself as a nerd and my fellow nerds, you know, we'll take good advice, but knowing why we're taking the advice is super important. So I also created a post that says, beware of analog DAC SCART cables. And yes, it's a little clickbaity, and yes, it's a little scary news teasy, but it's also 100% accurate because exactly like with the Mister, you really, really should not use any kind of VGA to SCART pass-through cable. You should use the HD15 to SCART adapter or a cable that has the resistor on the sync line. And like I said last week, I really, for my own personal use, I would prefer to use the HD15 to SCART because just by looking at it, you know, okay, this is going to make this safe no matter what the VGA source is, you know, within reason. Don't plug into a wall socket or something like that. But um, so that's my preference just because it's a visual cue. But if you already have a cable, I would double check it just because I'm a nerd with trust issues, but you should be fine, especially if it was purchased from a reputable reseller. But once again, I'll I'll go through this quickly because I know I already talked about it last week. Um, If you plug this directly into SCART equipment under a 75 ohm load, you're going to get two volts, which is too high for SCART equipment. You, You might be safe, but I mean, with all of the expensive and high quality equipment we use, 
I don't like mites. Uh, so by simply using one of the aforementioned devices, it drops it down to about 420 millivolts. If you have a scope at home and you want to test this stuff, anything between about 250 to 950 millivolts. I said volts last week. I was having an off week last week. <laughs> between millivolts, 250 and 950 should be completely safe. We try to aim for the middle of that. Um, so that, that's overall just a very easy uh, easy thing to worry about. Also, I was curious, just for the heck of it, what would happen if I connected the analog DAC through a 32X outputting through a properly built Genesis 2 cable, and it was the same exact voltage, which makes sense because it uses the same resistor that we chose for the HD15 to start. So um, now there's a million reasons why Kevtris would have designed the analog DAC this way, but number one, you know, no discussion had to do it this way because if you want the 32X to work, you have to give it the same signal that the Genesis was outputting. So uh, not only that, but it allows for a whole bunch of other output options, just like the Mr. So once again, like the Mister, there is no problem with the analog deck. It is built totally fine. There is no issue with it. It's just simply about making sure you use it properly. So as I said last week, you know, everything is the way it is for a reason. If you're going directly from the DAC to an RGB monitor, double check your specs and service manuals, but using a cheap and basic VGA to BNC pass-through cable should be perfect. Same thing with going into an Extron crosspoint BNC switch, or maybe even a VGA switch that accepts RGBS. All of those are completely good uses that you don't need to worry. It's only if you're going directly from the DAC or the NT-Mini to SCART equipment. Also, just a, an interesting aside, since I was testing this anyway, uh, it looks like the 32X in use with the DAC and the Mega SG works with the RetroTINK 5X. I was just, I had to, happened to have it here to do some testing, and I thought it was pretty neat. And a, a cool little bonus um, in the picture here, you could see the analog uh, Mega SG, I always get the, the acronyms wrong, the analog Genesis outputting the layer of the menu on the Genesis layer of video, and then the 32X drawing the bridge over that layer so it's just a neat thing i have a video i have a script written and i have a whole bunch ready for a whole video on 32x i just haven't gotten to it yet for a couple of different reasons so i'm really excited about that because while the 32x is far from the most popular console and it's not going to be a youtube hit i think people who enjoy the console or are curious about it would would get a kick out of all of the stuff I'm going to show. So uh, if you're interested in any of that, please check out the post. I'll have the 32X at some time between now and the end of the year properly. Uh, but overall, just, you know, the general recommendation of make sure that you use properly built SCART cables on everything that you own stands regardless of the device, including Mr. Analog or every normal console that you would regularly use it with. A few weeks ago, somebody had posted a link to a SCART cable made by the company Belkin that has a round cable sticking straight out the back of the connector. So it's not an angled SCART connector like pretty much every other SCART cable out there. And I thought this might be a good choice to match with the RetroTank 5X since that connector points the SCART cable outward and this one you could just wrap it around like shown in the main title picture here. So I bought one and I wanted to put it through its paces and it performs okay. Uh, 
So I'll run through exactly what I did. I wanted an even test setup. So I took this cable through a generic receptacle to receptacle SCART coupler. It's probably not very well made, but that actually works uh, for my benefit for these testing, uh, this type of testing. And I ran that through an open source scan converter, optimal timings with the Super Nintendo all set up. Uh, and I also ran the same test setup with the SCART coupler that we designed that is well-routed, that performed really, really well in its tests. Pretty much performed as well as a shielded coax cable. Um, and then I used a shielded coax sync-on composite video cable for the Super Nintendo. So this receptacle SCART coupler probably is going to introduce some noise, but that's okay because now we could really make it a more fair comparison, and we could really see the difference between the, you know, the best you could get because the SCART coupler is essentially a one and a half inch shielded SCART cable versus this. Um, running through the tests, it looks like it did add more interference to colors because of the composite video as sync. It wasn't so bad in blue, which is normally where I, I see the most interference with stuff like this. It was pretty bad with reds. Uh, if you click on either of these pictures in the post, you could see them full-sized. So right off the bat, you could tell that they're not properly shielded. And if you're using sync on composite video cables, you're going to get interference. If you're using sync on C-Sync or sync on Luma, you probably won't get any video interference or very minimal video interference. But then on the audio side of things, that's where the hum started to come out. And that's another sign of improperly shielded cables. I did one of those YouTube shorts things, which I got mixed feelings on. They're both annoying and a really fun and easy way to get a short one minute video out. Uh, so normally I wouldn't have done that because I don't want to kill the algorithm with a one minute video, but it's kind of perfect. And if you listen to this, even if you just hold your cell phone up to your ear, you don't even need speakers. You could hear the part where when it gets to the Konami logo that turns all white, you get a very loud hum compared to the SCART coupler, which isn't that loud. Now, yes, there's YouTube compression. There's MPEG compression when I recorded it. You're not, that's another reason why I didn't want to do MD Fourier comparisons because now I'm also comparing the noise floor of everything else, including this junky other receptacle SCART coupler. So I think the real world test would probably be a better one for this scenario because you don't need headphones. Just, you know, okay, listen to number, the first one with the SCART coupler, you hear a buzz, and then you hear a louder buzz with the Belkin cable. So basically that means that it's not well shielded. However, it doesn't mean that you not or that you shouldn't buy it. If all of your cables are sync on C-Sync, properly built, and sync on Luma, you won't notice the video. And if you're the type of person that just games with the audio speakers built into your flat panel, you might not even notice the buzz at all. However, if you play with headphones or if you play with a good stereo, then you would notice this. So it's not a complete bust. It's not, it's not something I would say is dangerous and stay away from. But if you're an audiophile, don't use it. And if you have sync on, compo uh, yeah, sync on composite video cables, don't use it. But if you don't care too much about audio and all of your other SCART cables are just C-Sync, pick this one up. It's not too expensive. 
Um, and, and it might just be something that you buy and, and use as a spare cart, SCART cable as well. I have a few like that that aren't bad. They're probably a little bit better than this, but they're not fully shielded. And sometimes it just really comes in handy to have another one laying around. Same way it comes in handy to have a junky SCART receptacle coupler that I normally would never use, uh, but works perfect in these tests. So overall, probably don't recommend it, but uh, it's not completely useless. Mike Chi just posted a new firmware update for the RetroTINK 5X that adds a new mode designed to be used with Extrems' Game Boy interface software. And before I get into it, if you use the Game Boy Player hardware on the GameCube, you should definitely be using Game Boy interface, not the stock original Game Boy Player boot disc. It is better in every way, it's free, and if you don't already own the Game Boy Player boot disc, it's probably cheaper to find some way to boot homebrew and use that than it is to buy one of the original discs. But anyway, it adds a way to, if you launch the Game Boy interface software in a certain mode, you get a more pixel-perfect look out of it, and it zooms it in even farther, which is awesome, because now you could reduce the black borders around the screen since you're using a smaller Game Boy resolution game on a flat panel TV. And I'll kind of go over what you need, and I'm going to have to skip around for a bit because it does get a little bit confusing, and I, I might even have to cut this video into parts, which I don't normally do, but... Basically, you need the right type of output solution, which I'll get back to that last. And then you need to make sure that the RetroTINK 5X is on the latest firmware and use a new-ish version of Swiss and Game Boy Interface. And Swiss, I have the same opinion about that. If you're using a GameCube, you should be using Swiss as well in 99.9% .9 of cases because you could even use it to boot original discs and manipulate the output the way that you want for some very cool options. That Both of these things deserve their own very long in-depth videos, so I have to skip over it for now and say use both of these software, launch Swiss, and then launch the Game Boy Interface HF uh, so gbihf.doll and just set two parameters video format to hd60 and video mode to 240p60 and what that does is it launches the game boy interface software in a 360p mode and as soon as the retro tank detects that it completely automatically changes into game boy interface mode with no interaction from you as well uh, no interaction from you needed. And what that ends up doing is 1080p fill mode is now a 6x integer scale. Um, 1080p over is 6.75 integer, which fills the height of a Game Boy Advance game top to bottom. And up until now, the methods to do that really weren't that great. There were some modes inside the Game Boy interface software that looked cool, but pretty much up until that and this, a lot of the methods I'd seen to stretch it didn't really work that well, especially some of the old school methods like the innovation adapter, which looked pretty terrible overall. Uh, so that's it's something that I probably wouldn't recommend all the time, but give it a try. Then, of course, there's 1200p and 1440p modes, which are a 7x and an 8x scale. Um, and all of them except the over mode have optimal timings and auto phase set. So that's really a huge bonus for this. Uh, and when you end up using it, uh, click on these pictures for full size if you'd like. You could absolutely notice a difference between the previous firmware and the newer firmware. It really does dial in a great look for Game Boy, Game Boy Color, and Game Boy Advance games. And it both allow for smooth scrolling. 
Anybody who's followed RetroRGB for a while has probably seen the Metroid Fusion scroll left at the title example that I use every time I talk about Game Boy Advance because it's the easiest way to see. If you look at the checkerboard pattern for the, the fence that you're running behind or whatever it is in that image, if you get screen tearing and judder, then it's not really the best way to play it. But in both of the modes, uh, 1080p fill or 1080p over, so 6x or 6.75x, it's a smooth scroll. So overall, I think it's an awesome way to use it. The only confusing part is how to get it into the RetroTank 2x. So the easiest part, if you have a GC Video 3.0 solution like the Prism, use a basic digital to analog converter like the ones I always link in the Amazon store uh, that converts HDMI to component video with zero lag. You plug it directly into the RetroTank 5X and you're done. That's it. Nothing to worry about. If you have the original component video cables, the official ones, go right into the RetroTank 5X. You're good. If you have a PAL GameCube, not NTSC, and you use a standard well-built RGB SCART cable, that will work as well. The HD retrovisions weren't, uh, will not work as well as the, uh, any kind of RGB SCART cable that has a sync stripper in it. It messes with the timings and it won't work properly. So for PAL GameCubes, it's basically a basic RGB SCART cable or a digital out. For NTSC, it's the digital out port. Um, S-Video and composite video cables won't work at all on any of these. The only other kind of gray area is non-GC Video 3.0 devices might or might not work depending on the firmware. Uh, Extrems is uh, listed on the website. I think I listed it right here. You could check exactly which ones will and won't work. Um, and the only ones that I think are a hard no are the Carby component cables. So I warned you at the beginning this was going to be kind of confusing. I guess I would just reference this post and definitely reference the links to uh, the wiki, uh, to everything, all the information that Extrems posted, and try to figure out exactly what the best combination for you is. But if you're already running the original component cables or a prism through a converter, this is a great, great way to experience the software because you get really crisp scaling on it. Um, now, the whole purpose of doing it this way first is so Mike could automate everything. It detects the, the very specific 360p Game Boy interface signal and automatically switches into that mode. So there's no way to manually enable this for other stuff, but maybe Mike will add an advanced menu in the future for that stuff. Either way, he's pumping out firmware updates and features faster than anybody could ever reasonably ask for. So, uh, you know, any feature requests, be patient because he's very obviously working on it. So, uh, you know, just a giant thank you to everybody involved in all of this stuff. You know, thanks to Mike for these firmware updates. Thanks to Extrems for always working on Game Boy Interface and Swiss. Uh, and of course, everybody else that works on Swiss, GC Video, and all the awesome products around it. So basically, if you use the Game Boy Interface software and a RetroTINK 5X, this is a pretty huge bonus. Limited Run Games announced a whole bunch of retro re-releases at this year's E3, and a few of them were pretty notable. The one that definitely stood out to me was the TurboGrafx CD version of Castlevania Rondo of Blood, which would make this the first official version of the game to be released for the TurboGrafx CD with an English translation and I believe a few other tweaks. So if you have a Turbo Duo or any kind of 
full briefcase setup so you have a turbo graphics and the cd attachment and you wanted an official english language version of rondo of blood this is a really cool way to pick one up uh, i'm very happy to see them do that and while limited run games certainly gets a lot of criticism stuff like this should be applauded it really brings something that a lot of people wanted in a way that people want it so definitely kudos for that also, uh, they're doing a physical re-release of Plumbers Don't Wear Ties, one of the most notoriously bad games ever, which I guess is fun. Uh, I will not be picking that one up, <laughs> but I guess if you like weird, weird releases of old games like that, that one's fun too. But uh, overall, check out Chris's post and check out the video if you'd like all the information on what they're releasing. Yehel from Wrestling With Gaming just posted an awesome video about the making of Mario Kart. And it's in the typical Wrestling With Gaming style. It's an awesome mini documentary. And no spoilers at all. There are two things, though, that I want to say that are totally spoiler-free. First, even if you've never played a retro Mario Kart game, if you've only played the Switch version and you're just curious about its origins, this is an awesome video to watch. You don't need to just be a retro fan. And the only other thing that isn't spoilery is wait for Ian's little fake commercial at the end of that about the cart. I don't want to spoil it, but that I was legit laughing out loud. That was amazing. And now all I want to do is think up different scripts to write Ian to get him to talk to, to talk over. So you'll see what I mean. Watch the video all the way through to the end. So here's an experiment I did that isn't for everybody, but if you're in the same exact scenario I was, I would strongly recommend it. So I'll, I'll give the full rundown. Last year, I got one of Retro Game Restore's really, really cool PC Engine clear cases for my original core graphics. And my original console case was yellowed in total crap, but the controller still looked great. So I left the controller by itself. Um, but now that kit comes with the controller and the console shell. So I had this very cool, clear retro game restore controller shell laying around. And I kind of, every time I opened up my Turbo Graphics box, I'd look in and go, wow, I really wish I could do something cool with this. And then when I was at Brooklyn Game and Arcade, or I always call it the wrong thing. I'm always going to call it other Brooklyn video games. I'll try. Sorry, Steve. I'll try my best. But when I was at Brooklyn Games and Arcade, I saw a Hyperkin controller hanging on the wall, brand new, that outputs turbo graphics but it also comes with a little controller adapter that allows you to convert that for pc engine so one controller for both and that little controller adapter pigtail alone is a very handy thing to pick up so i figured let me buy the controller if it stinks and if this doesn't work at least i get that little adapter out of it and if it does work cool so what i ended up doing was taking it all apart and trying to just swap the guts in the inside, the you know the shaft that the button drops into was just of the wrong size for the Hyperkin buttons. And I think it's because there was a little lip on the inside of the Retro Game Restore controller shell, which, by the way, it fit the original controller perfectly. So the Hyperkin buttons must be tapered or something like that. Uh, but all I had to do was just scrape off the middle. I put this picture in with a drill bit because it made me laugh because I, I, I thought, well, what if I just have the perfect size drill bit? And I didn't. It would have ruined it if I if I tried to use the larger drill bit. And then the only other bits I had were too small. So I ended up using an X-Acto knife and scraping off that little bit of the lip, which was just enough. 
And then I, I did something which I was just so proud of my dumb self, and I took the uh, the little uh, the metal grip part of the X-Acto knife that you t- uh, twerk down to keep the razor blade in. I spun that around on the inside to get rid of any burring, which I was just, I was so proud. Look at me being resourceful. And um, it, it smoothed out the tiny little bit that was left, so you didn't even realize anything was cut. It looked exactly like it did before. And then the buttons dropped in perfect. So basically like two minutes worth of work and I was able to swap everything over. The only thing I wanted to complete the mod, if you will. So I put the sticker over it. No, no disrespect whatsoever to retro gamer store, big fan of everything they're doing, but I think I kind of liked the controller better completely clear. So you could just see all the guts inside rather than the sticker. So I might try to very carefully take that off and clean it up, but I have the picture there. Uh, You know, there's also other replacement overlays you can get if you're into that that people have uh, responded and said it looked pretty cool so if you're into this stuff and, and you and you're wondering about that definitely look into it the only other thing I would say is if you're going uh, if you're going to pick up one of these kits and you're in the same scenario I'm in you don't need to swap out the controller shell and you have it laying around spending 26 bucks on the Hyperkin controller is absolutely worth every penny you get that adapter now the Hyperkin controllers are all hit or miss you could buy a handful of them and most will work fine and one might have weird issues you got to just kind of understand that that's the way it is with Hyperkin stuff but in this situation I think it's absolutely perfect but when you're in the situation of do I buy a clear controller shell just to get the Hyperkin controller into it? I don't think so. Also, uh, I don't believe Retro Gamer Store or Game Tech, who also sells the shell kits, I don't think either of them sell it separately. So maybe there is a need for that. Maybe that's something I could talk to to Jason about or something and have have pre-built kits for this gone out with different sticker overlays. I don't know, but generally speaking, I would not say upgrade your console and your controller just to do this. But if you are in the same situation as me, definitely. 26 bucks to use a clear case that you have and might not have used, and you also get a controller adapter, it's a total no-brainer. Definitely do it. That is the one downside I found to YouTube Shorts, though, because this was the perfect excuse for it. It was a fun one-minute video that was more of a fit on social media than YouTube, and I enjoyed doing it. It only took like three hours start to finish as opposed to you know days for the bigger production videos. But a lot of people, even though I said, check the link for more info... No one clicks links anymore. I know that. It's sad, but it is what it is. So a lot of people misunderstood the whole, you know, I would only use this if you already bought the kit anyway. I wouldn't spend 120 bucks for a console kit just to get the controller shell. So I'll try to figure out a better way to do it. I don't know if I just need to put all bold letters over the middle of the video, like more info in post, not in the description, in the post on the website. Do you remember what websites are? Those things we used to use before social media. (laughs) So... I don't know. I'm trying my best. I really am. And I do enjoy doing these fun little videos. It's way more lighthearted than some of the high pressure stuff I got to do. So, um, you know, complain all you want. I'm not going to stop doing the YouTube shorts as long as I'm still having fun doing them. And this is the perfect example of all of that. So please read the post if you'd like more info and watch the video if you just want to be entertained with a a quick, you know, time lapse, high speed uh, example of what I did. 
Retro Labs has just started selling their remote control overlay for the RetroTank 5X. The price came to about 11 US dollars after shipping to New York City. Uh, remember that their prices are listed in Canadian dollars, so there is a price difference there. And overall, it looks like something that might be helpful for some people. And I mean this respectfully, uh, but if you're just using the basic functions of the remote, the arrow in the back and the power, you don't need this at all. It totally just works fine. You don't need to memorize anything. Just if you know that right arrow means right and left arrow means left, you're good to go. But if you do want a quick access without having to reference anything, this overlay is pretty cool because then you could just look at it and go, oh yeah, that's that's what that button does. So, you know, something to consider if you have a RetroTINK 5X and you want to use uh, instant access to some of those features rather than go through the menu. I do also want to defend Mike's choice to use a generic remote control, not because he's my friend, but because I genuinely think it was the right move. Um, I think to spend money on a custom remote or a custom overlay and add all of that extra cost, because all the cost of the all of these things adds up big time, because don't forget, you have to print it, have it manufactured, have it shipped, have it the overlay added in manufacturing, or have the custom remote made. It's it's way more than than you would think to add something like this, and it's not something people need. So I think Mike absolutely made the right call of buying a cheap generic remote control that you could order more of if you really needed to. Uh, and I also think it's awesome that stuff like this and stuff like the vertical stand from Retrofrog, the wall mount case from Laser. Bear. I think all of these things are awesome because they give you optional accessories that people may or may not need. So if you don't need them, you don't have to waste the money. But everybody kind of wins. More creators in the retro gaming world get to sell their products. Um, you know, it, it's nothing but praise for Mike's products, and he doesn't have to worry about all this extra stuff. I just think like stuff like this is an absolute awesome bonus, and I hope to see more people doing it. Let's see different color overlays. Let's see. I don't know, you know, different plastic case swaps. I, I'm, I'm just making stuff up at this point. But whatever you got, keep it, keep it coming because I really love all the accessories for all of these products. Displaced Gamers just posted another really awesome technical video that describes essentially why do some TVs require a scaler with a frame buffer and others just work with things like the open source scan converter. And the short version is because the way CRTs worked all you really needed was the correct refresh rate, 15 kilohertz in the case of old games, TV shows, and stuff like that, and the proper sync information to make sure that everything appears on screen where and when it's supposed to. I'm definitely oversimplifying. The video does a way better job explaining, but that on CRTs is fairly easy because they were designed to take a wide variety of signals, and it didn't really matter because of the way they inherently work whereas all digital devices have to adhere to TV standards. So if you have something like certain Atari 2600 games or Super Nintendo, something people with the OSSC might have noticed depending on certain modes, it freaks out digital devices like capture cards, TVs, and sometimes scalers and stuff like that. So essentially, that's why you could do things like run the RetroTINK 5X in frame, frame lock mode on some TVs, but you need triple buffer on others. Same reason why the OSSC isn't compatible with every TV, but the Framemeister is. 
And I, I, once again, I'm just skipping over it because I want people to know what they're getting into, but it's an awesome video and Displaced Gamers does a way better job explaining it than I did. So uh, please check that out. It's a little bit more on the technical side, but it's one of these videos where if you ever questioned why any of this stuff, watch it. And then even if you don't get it, come back in a couple months and watch it again after you learn more info, because it's not a beginner video, but the root of the info in it really pertains to all of the scaling stuff that we talk about. So excellent video. I'm so glad we still have access to this stuff because my videos don't ever get this technical and I'm not nearly as good with the graphics and stuff. So I'm really glad to see uh, other videos I could point people to for this information. Definitely check this one out. I wanted to remind everybody that pre-orders are still open for the clear, transparent Super Famicom replacement shells, and they need to get to about 500 pre-orders in order to make the batch. So if you are on the fence about buying one, or if you're a store that planned on carrying them, please, now is the time to step up to the plate, because if they can't reach the 500 order mark, then they can't place the order. The good news is we would all get our money back if that's the case, but I would love to see these made because in many ways it's more important than the Super Nintendo shells, not because they're cooler or anything like that, but just for durability. Because while I've seen a ton of older Super Nintendo shells get all yellowed, the Super Famicoms over the years that I've seen don't just yellow, they start to crack apart. Some are still in really amazing condition, but even the one that I purchased just to test this case out on is broken in like six different places. And for, I don't know why they get more brittle, but or maybe it's not true, and maybe it's just my personal experience. But from what I've seen, the Super Famicom cases tend to crack more than Super Nintendo. So we really need these high quality, clear, transparent cases to be made because even people that have decent condition cases that want to buy this could still sell those original cases to people that have cracked and broken ones. So everybody would kind of win with this. Uh, so please, if you're on the fence about doing this, definitely step up. And well, that's it for this week. As you probably noticed, I spent a lot of time doing written stuff this week, so written reviews, write-ups, and uh, I know that's kind of a, a back and forth these days about what kind of content people are looking for, because I know the majority of people don't want to read anything anymore, but I do very much still enjoy doing written reviews, and I do think that in some cases they're better than videos, because if you need to reference a certain spot or a certain picture or a measurement or something like that, uh, on the nerd side of things, I, I do kind of prefer them sometimes but what I really want to do is a, a happy medium of the stuff that makes me happy what all of you want and of course whatever rules from the algorithm we have to follow so that people could actually see it and it doesn't just get buried in other content so I'm always all ears for what people have to say about this stuff maybe the right answer if I want to still do a written review is to do the written and then just read it all out loud into a microphone with still shots over it and load that up on YouTube as well I don't know I, I really I still am just kind of firing in the dark here trying to figure out what's the best so any suggestions I'm all ears um I take all of them to heart, but that doesn't necessarily mean I do what everybody suggests. I mean that respectfully, but I do appreciate all of the different opinions and feedbacks. So anything you got about how I release the content, what I do with it, I'm certainly... I'm certainly all ears because in a perfect world, what I would love to do is every week do the two podcasts, a high production video, maybe, uh, maybe even an interview, and then a whole bunch of written reviews as well. But that's 
I mean, that's double what I'm already doing, and I don't think I could do any more, or my head would explode. So I got to kind of pick and choose what I could do each week, and I just don't know the best way to go about doing it. So I'm all ears. But anyway, as usual, thank you so much to everybody that watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially thank you to anybody who supports in any way possible, because it's you who's keeping all of this stuff alive. So thank you all so much, and I'll see you next week.